And what I would say to lots of new founders is, lots of big ventures are really bad at this, at ad adapting new models and new ways of doing things because uh, they're, they're old and bureaucratic and culture change takes a long time. So where you have an advantage is you're able to do that. So if you're able to co-create with a small group of people who are in your community, who have purchased your product, do so because you are able to create ideas or new solutions that are validated by your customer base. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longton-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by Winnie Aguang, the co-founder of Living Proof. Living Proof is an organisation that runs Gen Z innovation projects and trains organisations struggling to engage young customers and employees, all by simply talking to the very people they're trying to connect with. The organisation was established in 2020 at the height of the pandemic and has already worked on powerful projects such as the UN Women UK Safe Spaces Now campaign. It's now dedicated to capturing the raw energy of the younger generation to bring diversity of thought to even more businesses. Born and raised in South East London, Winnie is grounded in the culture of altruism. The child of refugees, she attributes much of her outlook to her immigrant community, which so often fills the gap in support that the state leaves behind. She is passionate about creating opportunities for young people and showing them that they can bring their whole selves to work and still thrive. In this episode, we talk about the power of using your voice, harnessing the ideas and talents of young people, and the magic that can happen when we collaborate outside of our echo chamber. We also discuss the pandemic's influence on community and what it's like to start a new business venture when the world is in lockdown. Winnie is a total rock star, and I'm sure you're going to love this chat as much as I did. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. Today I'm joined by an incredible young woman who not only set up a business during the pandemic, but also a business that is really out to help people and particularly young people. So I'm really excited for today's chat. So welcome Winnie Ogwang, co-founder of Living Proof. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I know it's your first day back in the office after some time off, so we're really grateful <laughs> for you taking the time to chat with us today. So um, obviously I gave a really little intro there, but for anyone that's not familiar with your story or Living Proof um, and you know, the business itself, could you just tell us a little bit about how it came about and what it yeah. is? Yeah, happy to. So Living Proof is a youth-led consultancy. So we're all about kind of putting youth voice and youth action at the centre of business and organisations. And we do that in two ways. So we deliver creative innovation projects that we co-create with the business or organisation we're working with and the young people that we're working with too, because we train them and put them on project as, as consultants too. It's not just about them contributing their voice to a focus group. It's about them designing the question. Are we asking the right question? Are we asking this question in the right ways? How can we connect with young people to make sure we're getting the insights that we 
need and how can we kind of come up with solutions together um and then we also do some innovation training because our whole social mission is about empowering a generation of of young people to create the world that they want to see um and we came together in the pandemic so i met my two co-founders last february as wild as that feels um and we were on a course um called year here which is all about how to design mission-driven business and um yeah instantly fell in love with the pair of them they're both awesome very different women to me um but also we just kind of had a, a set a shared set of values um and a shared belief in the power of young people it's amazing i love that in the pandemic you know some of us were just sat around like binging netflix and you're like no i think i'll try and change the world a little bit i love that i mean it wasn't <laughs> so, i i didn't intend to start a business i did the course with the intention of going to work for somebody else i had no desire oh, wow. to do it but um I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think I would I would fit. I I think it's, it's interesting as as women, um, especially I think as the as a black woman and as a black woman who grew up where I grew up, the term entrepreneur still feels a, a little alien to me. Mm. Um, it's something that I'm growing into and getting more comfortable with. But I think I had an I had a conception of what I thought somebody who is a founder should be or look like or a set of skills they should have um and actually you know it's it's been a process of unlearning and relearning what that is you know what it means to be a founder what it means to be a leader um and yeah I've certainly certainly grown I've certainly grown during the pandemic and that's something I'm very grateful for that's amazing and I think you're so right I think there is we do have this idea of what it means to be a business owner and I suppose as well that's maybe part of the reason that being able to create a, a values led business, it can really make a difference and kind of make you open to that. Because I think if we we imagine, you know, these like, I don't know, startup founders and they're like trading their Bitcoin and they're like flying business class and you're like, that's not me. Like, that's not what I'm about. But actually, like you said, that isn't what entrepreneurship has to be anymore. Like there's so many different ways to be an entrepreneur. And actually, if you want to lead with your values and lead with the purpose, there's definitely a place for that now. Absolutely. And I think there's something about um, being one of the things I've, I've had to adapt to is being a bit more audacious, being on the front foot. Um, and I think as women, you know, especially learning sales, for example, has been like a complete like mind melt for me because you got to learn how to be kind of proactive and on the front foot in a way that is not just, I think, um, against the way women are often socialized, but also, you know, I'm, I'm from a Ugandan background. Ugandans are quite chill, you know, humble, quite quiet people. So me being out there and like selling is, is, it's tough. It goes against kind of like my nature and my nurture. That being said, one of the things I, I have learned is, you know, if you're selling something that has value, that's some, something that actually is worth it, you shouldn't apologize for it. Um, and that has, I think that, little mind shift has helped me to kind of move forward but I'm still learning sales and you know I'm, I'm still learning lots of things and that's part of you know starting a venture too you have to wear lots of hats even as a co-founder and it's about trying to as you grow just keep growing and finding new opportunities to keep learning and once I made peace with that I was a lot more comfortable 
Totally. I think you're right. I think sales and selling yourself or talking about yourself or your business can kind of give you the ick sometimes if you're not that way inclined. I think it's always easier if you know that what you're doing is, you know, really from the heart and actually is like something you're super, super passionate about and is helping people. I mean, you mentioned sales is something that you've had to learn. What was your background before? And, you know, if you didn't ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur, what what was the plan for Winnie before, before Living Proof came along? funny so I thought out of uni I thought I was going to be an investment banker um, and I did an investment banking internship and I never really gelled with the energy of it 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 never really sat right with me and it I worked with some lovely people and I thought I was going to go back but I just I couldn't bring myself to do it and there is something I think as a uh as an as a child of immigrant, as a, the child of refugees, I we are taught to aspire to places which are stable, so good job in financial services where you're earning a ton of money, but actually nobody in that space looks like you. And I think one of the things that our parents don't often think about is the kind of emotional, socially, almost quite violent component of being in those spaces where you feel like you're constantly having to assimilate and kind of tear off parts of yourself and, and leave it at home. Um, and so I, I, I decided I wasn't going to do that. And I spoke to some family friends and they said to me, you know, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do something that's sort of financial. I want to do something where I'm helping people and I want to use my people skills because in this internship, I'd been sorting out pitch decks. So I'd been on the computer like 12, 14 hours a day. Um and so I ended up falling into a venture that they were starting. So it was a, a startup, a small social enterprise that was all about social housing. And we ended up housing um, mostly Syrian refugees down in Bristol and in North Devon. I think at one time we were housing like a quarter of the Syrian refugees in Bristol, which was amazing. Because even amongst the population of people who are who need social housing and who are discriminated against, they were the most discriminated against. This was the period of time when every day there was headlines in certain newspapers about the dangers of Syrian refugees. And, you know, these are people who have experienced some of the worst things you can imagine. Um, so I loved the social mission. I loved being, uh, knowing that the work we were doing was, you know, really helping people to, unlock their potential in lots of ways because once you take care of primary needs of housing and you know food and water um that's when people can start to explore kind of some of the other things that they've been through perhaps start to unpack some of the trauma and really kind of grow and and, and build a life in so i knew the power of the work we were doing but also lots of my job was spreadsheets and chasing builders and asking them why they're over budget and behind time and i just wanted to be a bit more on the front line so uh, I wanted to feel like I was connected to the people that I was I was trying to work with to support um and so I I stumbled into year here which was the course I was talking about a big part of why I also did it was I was tired of working from home and then the pandemic hit and we were all stuck at home for a year so wow long. uh but it was it was an incredible experience um and the way the program worked was you spent five months on the front line. So I worked for Camden Council 
And then I did a consulting project and then we sort of designed the business at the end uh, with my two co-founders. And the great thing about having all of that kind of socially driven work to do during the pandemic was it was really anchoring. And also it felt like I had some power, as little as it was, to affect change at a time when it felt like the world was falling apart. And I think the work was more urgent but also the the level of I guess the what I got back from it was even more so than I, I would have at any other time. I'm really interested, like you know, like you said, you're the child of refugees, and then you kind of came into that work where again you're dealing with people that have had, you know, decades later similar life experiences, and then also being in business and not feeling like you saw yourself or you're represented, and now you're bringing diverse voices into business. Do you think that? not only the skills that you've acquired through those different jobs and things, do you think that a lot of your life experiences, when you look back, almost built up to this point where you're like, this all makes a lot of sense now, you know, like how you ended up being where you are? Yeah, it's super funny. I, It's not something I realised I was doing, but I think in many ways, you know, I'm, I just turned 30 um, and the process of my 20s has been starting to unpack how all of these experiences has have shaped me lots of what I think I did in my late teens early 20s was compartmentalize the parts of myself so it was my home self and my Ugandan identity and then my kind of Britishness which I I guess was at the forefront in the workspace but I've come to understand and one of the things that we really teach our young people is actually do you know what all of the things that you have learned through your life experience have value. And it's not just about, you know, when we do interviews, I don't ask young people for CVs because I I think they're exclusionary for lots of reasons. But when I ask you, you know, when, tell me about a time that you learned, you know, resilience or you felt most resilient or you had, you were shaped by X or Y, I'm almost never interested in hearing about how somebody has learnt um through an internship this particular project that they were given that was a contrived experience for them to show xyz because it's all nonsense i think you're Mm -hmm. far far more shaped by um and you learn so much more from you know tell me about what it was like to be a young carer for example and how you juggled looking after your mum with getting through your gcse's and also maybe you had a part-time job and that was insane And maybe you didn't get the grades which were all, you know, A-stars or what the equivalent is of A-stars. I know grades have changed three times (laughs) in school. Uh, (laughs) But all of that tells me much more about you as a person, as a human being, and is so rich in insights and wisdom. And I think we preach almost evangelically to our young people to tap into that as a source of strength and power um, and as a source of knowledge. Because lots of what you do in business is just about understanding different people and how they experience the world and and kind of taking that and shaping that into sometimes it's new products or services or like, you know, how can we design this process so it better fits, you know, a broader group of people. And all of that has so much power. So that's what I think I have learned. And so the values that I have picked up from my childhood, but also from learning 
I guess, an unlearning what it is to be um, a woman in the workplace and all of the various groups I've worked with very much shape the values of the business. And that was the first thing that we did together was to sit down, the three of us, um, and talk about what are the values that we want to live as a group, as a set of co-founders, and how is that going to shape what we're doing? Totally. And I think that something you just said really resonated about the CV thing, because I think, and again, I think it's an example of why we need um, people with different lived experiences in positions of power or decision-making positions, because you bring a different perspective to things. I'm the same. Like I used to look at CVs um, back when I was in the corporate world and people would be wanting, well, we want a red brick uni and we want like loads of extracurriculars. And I was there thinking, well, I don't have that, but I was working the whole time. You know, I was from a working class family. I, you know, had to earn all my money myself and so they weren't interested in like the part-time bar job but I was because I was like that shows someone who is dedicated is hard-working is you know values their independence etc etc but I think if we have this like homogenous kind of person um from a certain socio-economic background in decision-making um roles then you never get that diversity of thought and diversity of decision-making processes so that's really really interesting you know, you mentioned you, you and your co-founders obviously share a really strong set of values. What do you kind of bring to the table? How does that work? Three people, did you kind of fall into roles quite easily? Are you still in that startup mentality where it's kind of doing a bit of everything? How's that panning out? Yeah, you know, we sat down at the beginning and, and kind of sketched out partly based on uh, what we enjoy in work. Um, but partly based on our, our kind of collective experiences, where we thought we should sit at the start of the business. So my co-founder, Miriam, has a sales and marketing background. So she does kind of, she leads our sales strategy. She's all over sales. And it's great because I've learned so much from her. And I know Rosie, uh, my third co-founder, has too. And also she does all of our kind of visual design. So anytime you look at Living Proof, um, online you'll see that it looks beautiful and very cool because she's very tapped into youth culture and understanding how things should look and feel um rosie is uh an innovation consultant by background so she does kind of all of our project management project design um and so she's very strong at that uh, but also kind of deeply interested in in human beings and the human experience she's a, a psychology graduate um, and so she brings that understanding, that really kind of keen understanding of how to unpack human nature to all of our projects um, and to our work with young people. Uh, and I think for me, it was always about um, how do I bring my lived experience into this space um, in a way that feels impactful? That's, that's, I guess, the driving, the bottom line for me is, you know, part of why I love what we do is it helps me to kind of give even more meaning to some of the tough things that I've been through. Um, so that's part of what I do is, is, is really all about young people. So how do I make sure that we're recruiting a diverse group of young people? So I have lots of relationships with youth organisations that I maintain all over the country so that when we go out to find young people for projects, we have like a really diverse network. So it's like, I know I want to find young people in the north of England who are really interested in the arts. I've got, you know, a few organisations that I can go to off the top of my head. But also, I the, a big part of my role as well is about social impact. So, you know, if, if MIMS is a little bit kind of like, the sales, making sure that, you know, I don't price things. If something needs to be priced, I will call MIMS and say, MIMS, 
how are we pricing this? Because I have no idea. But if it's about social impact and how are we making sure we're living our impact, which is the second half of having an impact business, um, then that's me. So, you know, how are we designing our theory of change? How are we making sure that we're going from this problem that we've designed, we've, we've um, identified to understanding how we want to make impact in this in this kind of broad sense our larger mission and how that's filtering into the activities we're doing and then how we're measuring that impact too um so that's yeah that's kind of like the, the broadness of my role so in a sense you have Miriam who's on one side which is very salesy I'm on the impact size which is kind of I guess in a sense more warm and fuzzy to lots of people and then Rosie kind of straddles the two it's really interesting how you've broken that down there because I think for some people they might not actually understand exactly what a social impact business is, how it differs from a even charity or a commercial business and like does it sit in the third sector and you know I think there's a lot of, um, it, I mean it's a fairly new concept in the grand scheme of things in terms of the wider business conversation so could you tell us a little bit about how you go about setting up a social impact business what are the criteria that you have to have and how do you you, know, you kind of said then like maintain that as you grow and always keep that in focus yeah it's interesting in that there's no set of defined there's no list of like criteria that you have to check off to be a social impact business um but for for me you know the very first thing that you start with as an impact business is falling in love with the problem. And that's often where lots of people go wrong. You can very easily fall in love with your solution. So you think you've crafted the best thing ever and this venture is going to do X, Y, Z. But actually, if you don't have a keen and keep a keen understanding of the problem, then sometimes your your business won't be solving what you think it's solving. You won't be helping young people, for example, for us in the way that's most most direct or most helpful, or you won't be solving the problem at all. And sometimes you can create lots of unintended consequences if you kind of haven't got a holistic understanding of all of the different ways in which, for example, a young person might experience unemployment or underemployment in, in, in our case. Um, so it, it starts with falling in love with the problem. But I guess as an impact business, you you have kind of like two masters. So you have your bottom line. You want to make sure you have a business that is thriving. So you're taking in enough income, whether that's from, you know, commercially generated projects on our, our example. Some people have product businesses. So we sell services, but some people sell products. Um, but also lots of social impact businesses do take in grants, for example, um, and that's another part of income. But then you also have a mission that you are held to as well. So it's not just a bottom line. Um, and as a mission driven business, the best way that you kind of keep true to your mission is by having a theory of change. So it's like, as I said, starting with a problem, understanding the problem. For us, it's about, you know, youth unemployment, underemployment, we know that Gen Z, for example, are the most socially, are the most economically impacted age group of the pandemic. You know, their unemployment rate shot up far more than any other age group. We know what that means to have to be unemployed or underemployed early in your career and how that can set you back in terms of earnings and your ability to progress as well. And then understanding from that problem, what is the mission that we have out of that? What do we think we can do to affect change? What are the set of activities that we think we need to do under that banner? So for us, it's about, okay, innovation projects. It's about 
innovation training, um, but also how are we measuring what good looks like? And your theory of change will evolve over time. So we co-created ours with our young people because we're all about co-creation. We had a session where they told us what our theory of change should be. Um, and then That's we design cool. measurement and then we keep measuring. And sometimes you'll actually, through having a theory of change, come to understand that there are benefits that you have created that you weren't aware of that are really important to people. So one of the things that we didn't recognize that young people really valued was coming together with other young people of diverse experiences and the connections they make from that space or feeling seen and heard and that kind of like mm. social, um, that kind of like social and emotional component that comes with doing the work is of such value, especially during a pandemic. The young people loved it. Well, I was about to say, like, do you feel that the pandemic has definitely, well, I, I'd like to think in the years to come, we're going to see this real kind of um, boom of innovation, because I think a lot of people have had, you know, a bit of time on their hands, maybe they've been made redundant, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and people have started businesses. Do you think that Living Proof would be what it is today without the pandemic? Because it feels like that really was quite a driving force behind what you were doing. Yeah, I think, you know, pandemics are, are interesting or well that's a wild thing to say <laughs> i mean from like if you if you kind of have your business hat on any period of intense disruption is really interesting because what you see is lots of innovation and the world suddenly shut down and lots of the rules or things we believe to be true we found out weren't technically true so you are seeing a rewriting of kind of like how business is done or how people come together um, in ways that I think has definitely shaped LP. So, you know, in terms of how we're able to, you know, leverage technology to bring young people together, even running projects over Zoom, for example, our first project in January to March completely over Zoom, um, which was a project with UN Women UK. And the idea of doing that previously, I think, would have been quite wild. But, you know, we're able to now leverage tech to not just run projects um, in a more lean and agile way, but also to reach populations of people who wouldn't necessarily participate. So, you know, young people who perhaps have caring responsibilities and can't leave the home are now able to log on for a session for two hours because they can do it from their bedroom. Um, so that's certainly shaped how we do business. Um, I definitely think that I'm, I'm wary of people who um, have really defined ideas of what things might look like in the next few years, because who knows what things look like in the next few years when things settle. But I think it's about, I guess, keeping your ear to the ground, being aware of kind of the, the social changes, the economic changes, and then being ready to, to kind of, yeah, to, to kind of fill the gap if that feels your, if that also aligns with your mission. I mean, I definitely think everyone felt it, probably you so even more, you know, really being at the, um, you know, on the front line with the social impact business. But there did seem to be a, I don't know what to call it, a, a sort of a spike in community spirit or at least, uh, you know, some sort of mobilisation of people going like coming together, helping people out, even clapping outside with our neighbours, you know, in London, like that's not a common thing to be kind of waving at your neighbours, you know, that kind of feeling that that definitely early on in the pandemic we saw quite a lot of. Um, is that something that you've sort of witnessed and again, do you think that's maybe 
help shape them, improve it in some way or, or, or not? Yeah. So when I was uh, on my course last year, I spent the first five months working full time for Camden Council in their participation team. So that's all about, you know, um, how can we support community led approaches to social problems, get neighbours to help neighbours, um, support people who want to kind of get into social action. Uh, and then I worked part time for them for another kind of seven, eight months um, afterwards. And yeah, it was fascinating because you you have all of these voluntary organisations who had been working for decades to get people of working age into social action, right? They're always trying to understand how can we get the young professional, the millennial to come and pitch up to the the youth centre and volunteer or the community centre, volunteer the food bank. Um, and because the pandemic shrunk our ability to move, right? So your connection to community, which has very broad because it's not just my neighbours it's my friend who lives across London or I can get on a train and go up to Edinburgh to see my friend who I went to school with or you know it's it's all of those kind of like broad um, spokes of community were shut down in a certain sense and so our ability to move was restricted and also we you know we all were, I think were searching for ways to feel like we had power and control and like we could support people who were vulnerable you saw this real boon in people jumping into mutual aid groups and like you know doing dog walking befriending grocery shopping and it was fascinating but also you know people wanted to I think keep hold of it as it was but that shifted over time. There are some projects that came out of it. So I know, for example, a group started a food bank that was feeding 100 families a week, um, I think, up in North Camden. And I think they might still be doing that. They went way beyond the kind of first phase of the pandemic when lots of, I guess, the social structures started to, uh, to feed back in again. However, um, lots of people have gone back to their ordinary lives too. So I'm, I'm kind of sceptical about radical shifts in how people will live their lives um, as we've just been living through a time of extreme turbulence. So we'll see how things settle. But I, th I think there are lots of new models of social action. So like micro-volunteering, people wanting to do small things, like I said, picking up prescriptions for neighbours when they know they have a spare 30 minutes. Um, lots of people leveraging technology. So, you know, even lots of older people learning how to use WhatsApp and Zoom and what that means for, you know, community as well. It's really interesting. Um, but I think, I guess, from a, a, a business point of view, that's definitely shaped how we, how we do business, I guess. But I'm, I guess what I'm aware of more than ever is that the pandemic has only really just exacerbated trends that we were seeing previously. So for lots of and D, there is a rational component of spending money, you know, they want to spend their pound in the best possible way, get the most bang for their buck. But there's also an emotional component. And I think people across, you know, society are feeling that too, more intensely, you want to feel good about where you spend your pound. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm interested to see how companies adopt that. But what we push for is doing that in a meaningful way. Don't come to me if you want to do a fluffy PR exercise. Come to me if you're interested in about, you know, sh meaningful shifts in power and control. So when we hire young people on projects, 
they come as equals, right? So they are in one squad with us and, you know, it may be head of, you know, innovation department or the CEO comes in of that organisation and we are all together collaborating as equals. That's what I'm interested in because lots of what people talk about often on the back end of times of turbulence, especially big corps, is like, we're really interested in, like, supporting, but actually what does that mean? I'm kind of thinking back now, you know, 18 months ago, where this sense of community, which was definitely there and was definitely a positive thing, it also was kind of coming with this label of, like, the pandemic's such a great leveller, you know? We're all in this together. And it's like, not really, like, not not exactly. And I think that over the last year, yes, we've had, like, all the positive kind of side of human nature that I think has definitely come out. But then it's also been a time of, like, huge divisiveness you know I mean the kind of resurgence of the BLM movement and everything that came to that people arguing about what's more important to protect people or protect uh, statues all of this stuff where actually you really have seen that the issues that are always there still coming to the forefront despite everything else that's going on in the world like it hasn't made everyone hold hands and like want to kind of support each other is that obviously with the nature of the work that you do equality is so front and center of your of your mission both in the workplace and in general so are those sorts of um things that you've had to think about and been aware of and have they kind of I guess spurred you on even more to really push for this sort of equality especially for young people yeah it's interesting um there's been this time of like yeah as a I guess I'm I'm mostly inspired by grassroots grassroots activists. I'm inspired by people who do the work when the cameras are off. I'm inspired by people who, when it's no longer the social issue of the day, are out there doing the work because it matters and people still need them. Um, I'm not inspired by uh, social media slacktivism. I'm not inspired even by people pitching up to the one protest. I don't mean that as if there's not value in that but it just doesn't move me um I think it's very easy to 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 engage with it on a surface level and not everything has to be your cause I'm not an expert in lots of things but I do try to be sensitive to and have an understanding of what is going on in the world for lots of groups because it matters not just to the work but it matters to me and how I organize my life um but I'm also aware that, you know, lots of what has come out of the past two years, to be very frank, has been, Winnie, are you interested in coming to speak about being a black woman in X or to speak about how this is affected Y? Um, and I'm not inspired to explain my humanity as a black woman to a bunch of white people, which has frankly been what lots of the requests have been. Uh, what I am inspired by is meaningfully redistributing power from those who have a disproportionate amount to those who have less right so that's when i bring young people into a room with organizations and there are senior leaders there you yes young people have to have the right mindset on how to do this work but you too have to understand senior leader that you are coming into this group as an room as an equal with this young person that's what I'm inspired to do and what that does not just for the young person but how an organization is able to do business moving forward um I guess I'm this what I'm aware of as well is like there are lots of people stoking culture war in order to get their way 
and that's also I think the toxicity that you're talking about is that it's not just a clash of values it's people who are genuinely stoking conversation as a way of uh firing up certain groups in order to be able to either do what they want to do or cover up what they're doing right um and government has certainly been doing this and that can be exhausting for lots of people right when your um identity is the battlefield of the day it's so tiring right but what i always do when I, I guess I get that feeling or sensation is you know remind myself that the work is more urgent than ever right the young people still need us you know and and whatever your social issue is like that doesn't go away I just rededicate myself to the work that's all you can do yeah and that must feel so powerful to be like you said it's not about jumping on a like trending hashtag and doing that sort of performative activism I suppose or like you said first surface level so I think that there are some people that maybe their day job is completely removed from this and they're like oh like I want to use my voice or I want to do something I want to help so it must be like you said tiring in one way but also incredible that you can go right I'm going to direct all of this into what we're doing with Living Proof and actually be working towards something that's very robust and sustainable and like deep I suppose rather than necessarily just kind of that's, surface that level. is always the goal I think that's why I was drawn to social enterprise as a model in general there are lots of charities who are out there doing incredible work on uh, around similar social missions or lots of different um, social missions or social causes but what I love about running a social enterprise is we're building a model that should be or will be I should say sustainable in its own right the goal for us is not to be here at the forefront in 15 years that's not success that's failure I want to build something as do my co-founders that we then hand over to young people to run we're custodians of something that we're growing and then it should live outside of us and what lots of charities struggle with is the constant fundraising and having to keep people constantly interested and what I will say about building this particular social enterprise is I, I'm very inspired by businesses and ventures where your, social, your customer benefit is enhanced by your social mission. So for us, we bring together and want to work with diverse young people because we know that they don't ordinarily get a seat at the table. But the businesses that we work with are coming to us because we can work with diverse young people and they recognise the richness of insights that come when you bring together a group like that, right? When you're able to connect with young people who perhaps are ordinarily shut out from the process or the conversation, they recognise the insights that come that are so valuable and challenge their conception of kind of what good business looks like or what a good product looks like. But also they recognise that that... Um, that process of, of bringing young people together, it, it brings that challenge that the gray areas where things overlap or challenges and tensions, that's full of richness too. You just light up when you talk about these young people, which is just so wonderful to see. And I think that, you know, you said that you're working with clients who are willing to have their, their concept of business maybe being changed and altered and look at things a different way. But I think it's also maybe challenge their perception of what Gen Z is about, because I think very unfairly, and I think it's it's hilarious, isn't it? Because you and I are millennials and before it was like, oh, millennials and we got all of this like 
weird stereotyping from kind of Gen Xers and the boomers. And and now Gen Z have become that kind of the youngest people in like the kind of, of working age. And they sometimes will get written off as just TikTok obsessed young people who, you know, want to live online and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that your experience of working with them, like I think, and when you talk about the young people that you're working with, I can't imagine anyone would hear you talk about those people and not immediately want to meet them, want to work with them because you just are clearly so inspired by by your work with them. And like, I'd just love to know a bit more about like what you've learned through working with, with these young people. So much, so, so much. So we held our first in-person session two Thursdays, Two weeks ago, yeah, two two weeks ago, so on Thursday, um, and we'd been doing everything virtually, but we had a session where we were talking with young people about healthy relationships and what healthy relationships means to them post, you know, pandemic, coming out with COVID. And it was nine young people across lived experience, across from 18 to 25, who um, just came in and we set a set of values at the beginning and mindset. So, you know, we always go together. Uh, done is better than perfect. You know, this is a democratic space. We protect each other. We support each other. Uh, nothing that's said in this room should be repeated outside of this room. Um, and we design a space physically so everybody does feel like an equal, you know, so like how we kind of not just the, the roundness of the table, but also, you know, the exercises, how we circulate around a room, how we facilitate that space. But the young people come in with so much honesty and vulnerability and a willingness to try and to fail that um, I am constantly floored by. Um, there is like a an ability to tap into their experiences and share in a way that is um, so raw that I reminds me every time I want to go into my shell, right? Brene Brown talks often about the power of vulnerability and I'm a big believer in it, but living that every day is a really hard thing. And they do it all the time by nature. Um, and that alongside the constant state of learning and the willingness to try things and fail and adapt and keep growing that you have at that age is just remarkable. Um, and the freshness of the ideas that they come up with because they don't think inside the box because they don't know what the box bloody is, is so inspiring to me. It reminds me to constantly challenge myself to to new modes of thinking, to strip things back, to challenge kind of perceptions of how things should be, not just kind of in how we run projects but and how we design our business, but like also how I live my life. Um, so yeah, I could wax lyrical about them for, for hours and hours, but they are, I, I mean, I challenge anyone to sit in a room with, you know, a group of young people um, and not be inspired by just their humanity. They're remarkable. And how have the, you know, businesses that you've been partnering with um, for these young people to come along and really have a seat at the table and give their insights? How have you seen them benefit? And what has kind of, I guess, the feedback been from from those organisations? I think they are blown away by how much young people can contribute when you give them the power and the tools. Because lots of what 
people dress up as innovation is just understanding a problem and then going out and speaking to people and then coming up with new ideas and people get paid big bucks right for this stuff they obscure it with lots of jargon but lots of these tools are so easy to learn and transferable especially to young people um so when you put the power in their hands it's like wow I'm able to, you know, if you if you pay young people accordingly and create a space where they are able to contribute and try and fail and try again and learn and collaborate, what you come up with is remarkable, even in a really short space of time. So I think people are really blown away by the power of young people. And our goal is always beyond the project. How can we inspire businesses and organisations from, you know, private businesses all the way to the third sector to try new ways of, of collaboration and actually I think some third sector organizations are really good at this like at co-creation about how to bring your beneficiaries or your service users into the process um, some are less so uh, but they're getting there I think it's more natural in that space in that sector but business actually I think this is where you can make a real difference to lots of businesses. And what I would say to lots of new founders is lots of big ventures are really bad at this, at ad adapting new models and new ways of doing things because uh, they're, they're old and bureaucratic and culture change takes a long time. So where you have an advantage is you're able to do that. So if you're able to co-create with a small group of people who are in your community, who have purchased your product, do so because you are able to create ideas or new solutions that are validated by your customer base right you know they work because the, your target customer has helped you create them with you and so you are just that much more quicker to get to new idea new product new service than a venture would be yeah. totally and i think you know, I can I can see it now, like the, I don't know, offices with people being like, what are Gen Z into? Like, what are they thinking? They're like, I've done all this research and like, this is what, you know, is trending or whatever. And it's like, why do that when you can just go straight to source and like have a human conversation with someone being like, what do you think? Like, I think what you're creating and I, I know we said this when we spoke previously was I feel like you're not only creating like uh, this amazing business but I think you're kind of just displaying like a blueprint for like a whole new way of working which I think you know like you said it takes a while for culture change to happen but I think the conversation around diversity and people having a seat at the table you know this has been going on for years and years and years within big business and we still don't see the same kind of um like equality and co-creation that you're you're doing with living proof so I love that you've just managed to kind of cut straight through all of that and are doing some amazing work um, and creating a whole new way of working Connie, You would well. be surprised by how many people or big businesses you would go to who have created a product for young people who have never spoken to any young people in the design process. That totally. was that has absolutely bamboozled me the past year. Like, I just I literally could not believe it's happening. Um, great for us, more space for us to come in and, and like help, help in that process. But actually like people, there are... People who are scared, I think, of of speaking to customers. Lots of organisations hide behind data, but actually, being in a room with customers is quite a 
tough thing for lots of senior leaders to do often, right? So that's why they kind of there is this gap, especially with young people. Lots of lots of people are scared of Gen Z. Like they're they're not sharks who are going to bite your head off, but that's almost like the tension, especially diverse young people. Um, I think there is this kind of like. Um, this, this social disconnect and part of what we do mm. is create that bridge and bring bring about yeah. a space that is democratic where people can can collaborate together um in an honest and authentic way um and also speak to each other in ways where they're being heard and i think that's also why it's so important that when you're doing the work that you're doing which is creating these groups and facilitating that bridge as you say is it's not just about young people it's young people from a diverse lived experience because again it's it would be naive to go like okay well they're gen z so they're all gonna have the same opinions or they're all gonna like the same things or where they're all gonna have the same view on the world like i think it's really powerful to be saying we're not only bringing a whole new generation to your business but also a very diverse uh, kind of melting pot of all these amazing people that like and I, you said before that maybe wouldn't be in a group together oh. before you know it probably they, they might not apply for the same jobs or go to the same schools or whatever and you're kind of breaking all those barriers down which I think is really and cool there's so much power in those like those there's, there's those tensions like where people's lived experiences and their views of the world um are I guess conflict is the wrong word but like don't meld together like they almost come from opposite sides and there are bits where they directly overlap in ways that people find surprising and it's those bits which I think are the most interesting parts for like learning like okay how do we how do we solve this problem or like how do we bridge this gap when we understand that these two groups sit on polar opposites in this way but they overlap in this way um and you only can really get that when you're allowing people to come in and like share their stories. And what we're really interested in is stories, right? Insights come out of stories. Mm -hmm. And so like allowing people to come and share their story in a way that's really open and authentic is really what I'm, I'm most passionate about. That's what I love to do. Yeah, it's amazing. So before we let you go, I've got a, uh, sort of, we always end with a few top tips. So what would be your top tip if someone is listening to this and feels really inspired and wants to start their own social impact business? What would be your kind of, I guess, a starting point for that process? Fall in love with the problem. Go and do as much as you can to understand whatever that social issue is. So if it's young people and youth unemployment, read all the statistics, but then like, can you go and volunteer in an organisation, uh, you know, or work in an organisation where you're around young people who are living this? and be alongside people and learn from them um so fall in love with the problem absolutely but also I would say you know with lots of solutions for social issues often it's about listening to people who have that lived experience who probably already have the solution already it's just about giving them the platform right so um sometimes it's about resourcing and supporting people and then getting out of the way too in the same way that we're kind of building this thing that we're a custodian of and then hope to pass it along to young people like how can you um work with or collaborate with people who have that lived experience or maybe come from your own lived experience right to to build something sustainable yeah and what about if you're maybe you don't you're, you don't have a social impact business or you 
don't feel like that's the right route for you. But do you have any advice as someone who maybe doesn't want to do that from a commercial perspective, but just wants to do some more in their community outside of the pandemic, you know, when when maybe those opportunities aren't so, I guess, readily available right in front of your face? Like what what can people be doing? I guess it's still about looking for that problem, right? And, and really kind of going Absolutely. in what are you passionate Absolutely. about. Absolutely, like find ways to connect with people who have that lived experience, organisations that are working with people of that lived experience. And also, how do you leverage the resources that you do have for good? So um, if you're a woman who has lots of business experience and you're really passionate about supporting young women, for example, who have... Um, who have uh, perhaps have ideas really interested in business but like maybe don't have all of the knowledge that they need or the support like how can you be a mentor to a young person or you might have office space for example that's going spare now because actually not everyone's coming in every day like how can you use that resource to like have young people come in because actually now somebody just needs a desk space right or like whatever your your knowledge or your resource base is how can you marshal that for the benefit of the group or the social issue that you really care about and how can you platform people basically sometimes it's about I've got this connection and I can support you to be on I don't know I've got an Instagram page that's got like a few thousand followers of women who are really interested in this thing or you know uh, people who are really interested in this and I think this really aligns with what you're doing so I'm going to feature you today so you might get new customers it's just all about taking what you have and guess opening it up in a, a kind of a democratic and mutually beneficial way to to people who who might not have those resources yeah it's sharing what you have which I think is like is ultimately like the foundation of all community you know is is sharing and this final question I think is is really relevant to to people that are probably listening to this podcast who if someone is listening and thinking, okay, I'm a small business owner so we're not talking about like a large corporate with like massive teams and they really want to start, A, benefiting from young people, but just really diversifying that kind of storytelling and, um, I guess, thought leadership within their own business as a small business. Um, I mean, I guess one way could be working with you guys. Um, but is there, are there other ways that people can start to diversify their team, no matter how small that team is? Um, so if you're talking about, like, I guess, diversity of thought in what you're creating, for us, like, you know, one of the founding principles in 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 bringing in young people for example is like pay people for their time like pay people well for their time they understand that like when you're working with a group of people who you feel who have different lived experience you perhaps have have faced more disadvantage than you have like people's life stories their insights that they have built not just from their career but from how they have lived and experienced the world has value so pay them accordingly is like a foundational value so when young people pitch up to just chat with us they get paid london living wage as a minimum right that's that's like a, a non-negotiable thing that we would do even when we're running our own our own projects or doing stuff for our own business so I'd, I would say pay people for their time is number one um I would say like think about how you're designing your kind of whether it's your hiring process or like however you're trying to reach people so for example we don't do CVs CVs can like a really um easy thing to do because it's the standard but they can be quite exclusionary for lots of people so it's like in that process how can you tailor it to actually get the information that's really useful for you and there are ways to do it that actually are probably far more interesting but also far 
get far more to the meat of and the substance of what is valuable for you in that process so like i might ask a young person on a uh in a google form what's the most entrepreneurial thing that you've done in your life right and even that like i have to unpack entrepreneurial because you know that can feel like quite confronting to people as i said i didn't see myself as an entrepreneur um but you know i i might ask them about you know give them a a a problem to solve like um on our un project we asked young people about you know bystander theory in a right roundabout way like why would a bystander pass by and like what solutions could we come up with because you're i'm really interested in how people think rather than what credentials they have so as much as you can design the process to get away from credentials and far more towards like what is the value somebody might actually bring to this process and how can I start to understand how they might contribute and you know how they might think, do that um, because you will end up with a far more diverse team and actually I think far more uh, interesting and better solutions and uh, and ideas than you would just from going from CVs. Amazing advice. Um, so, I mean, I guess the final thing to say is how can we support what you're doing? How can we find you? And yeah, what is the process of just working with you? And or, or if people can't work with you, how can they support you in other ways? Yeah. So we are at livingproof.world on social, so on LinkedIn, on Instagram, um, are our two main places that you would find us. Um, if you're, if you have young people that you work with who you think might be interested in being on project with us, tell them to go to our website and sign up. We're always, uh, interested in adding more young people to our database so that when we have projects that come up uh, or opportunities, we can email them or kick call them. What I'm on WhatsApp a lot because actually young people are much easier to get on WhatsApp than they are on email. <laughs> Lots of WhatsApps for me. Um... Uh, if you have an organisation that's interested, that wants to do youth engagement differently, interested in youth voice and youth action, come to us. Yeah, happy to have any conversations on that. We just launched our first insight report on Gen Z and money. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, we hired five young people to go and chat with their friends about money. Um, and then we co uh, we co-created some insights with them about kind of like how Gen Z, yeah how Gen Z like what their money habits and their values are um, because we're really interested in kind of like how do we create better financial products and services and things like that but also it has lots of applicability across all sorts of spaces so if you're interested in that go and download our insight report it's a www.livingproof.world um, and you'll find it there um, but yeah just connect with me on LinkedIn I'm always interested in meeting women especially who are out in the world doing cool and interesting things um, because I yeah that inspires me um, and it's been lovely to chat to you, Connie, because you're great. It's been so, I could chat to you all day, but you've got a lot of world changing to go and do. So I'm going to let you go. Winnie, thank you so much. Um, this was just so insightful and inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much, Connie. Thank you so much for listening to the Bossing It podcast. If you can spare a couple of seconds, we would absolutely love it if you could rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening as it helps other people find the podcast. If you want to hang out with us online, you can find us on all socials with the handle at foundflourish. So you can tweet us, slide into our DMs, get in touch however you'd like to nominate a guest or let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we discussed during the series. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.